Survival podcast. It is a Thursday on a short week, and I thought we'd have a just Jack, a chat with Jack style show about kind of the state of the world. And well, just bluntly, how screwed up it is. It is the end of the world, and I feel fine. And if you tune into the audio version of this podcast, I think I might lead off with a little bit of that famous song. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine by REM. Um, I'm going to go through some stuff today that's pretty incontrovertible about how screwed the world is. And it's not really a bunch of stuff like the government's going to do this and the government's going to do that and Joe Biden's a Nazi and all that stupid shit, right? It's more like the mess we're in no matter who's in charge. In fact, a lot of you guys that are still, you know, at that bargaining stage of the five stages of grief may really not like this by the time we get into the second half of it. And I ask you a few hard questions. But we're in a a unique time in human history. Is it the fourth turning? Maybe. We'll talk about that. Does it even matter? Does it even matter? if Because to be in the fourth turning, the theory of the fourth turning has to be accurate and not just a little piece of history that seems to match a certain pattern. Does it actually happen over and over and over again throughout all of human history? That's debatable. What we have, what is an ending? What is an ending? An ending is always a beginning. For anything to begin, another thing must come to an end. Think of it like if you're married and that marriage is not going in the right direction and you want a real new beginning, and that marriage is irreconcilably just dead. Like you can stay together forever because that's what everybody says you should do, but what you actually want is a really great life with someone you love. What do you have to do? To start that new life and find that new person, you have to get divorced. There's a, remember the movie with Tom Cruise in it? It was a great movie, um, Last Samurai. Remember when he was finally accepted into the samurai clan and the guy, the, the guy who trained him and his brother had died? And he said, I finally decided that my brother died because you were supposed to be here. We have to start thinking that way about what's going on in the world today. You ain't going to stop it. Stopping a massive transition in human history that was obviously coming. Obviously coming. It would be like you, you old millstones. They were either turned by water pressure or like a giant Clydesdale horse. You had this huge multi-thousand pound stone turning on top of another stone, and they drop wheat down in there, and it turns it into flour, that kind of millstone. Stopping this would be like you individually, all by yourself, climbing down in the mill and trying to push against the millstone. What's going to happen to you if you do that? <laughs> squish, just like grape, in the words of Mr. Miyagi. You bring back a little Miyagi mornings, huh? You squish, just like, just like big human grape, if you go into the millstone. How obvious was this? It was 2013, I believe, the first time I said no later than 2014. The following. And I guarantee you there's people here that will test, testify in the, in the live feed right now, the few people that have trickled in so far, that they, I remember this, right? I said the decade between 2020 and 2030 
will have more flux than any living human being has seen in their entire lifetime. But there will be more flux between 2020 and 2030 from a change in how humanity works and technology integrates with humanity than we experienced between 1850 and 1900, which was one of the most incredible periods of change in all of human history. A person, if you had taken a person in 1950 and, and time traveled in the year 2000, they'd go, wow, a lot of stuff is different. But they would have like a lot of stuff that they saw, they would have expected. It might have played out a little differently than they, you know, expected it to. But they would have expected most of the things that they saw. If you took somebody in 1850 and put them in a time machine and brought them to 1900, they did not, they would not have recognized the world they were in. But it was 50 years, five decades. You're living in a period of time where things are shifting that fast in 10 years. You're compressing five decades of flux into one, and in some ways you're compressing a century of flux into a decade. It's a 10x, an acceleration of shift. Now, I guess I get a reputation for being a pretty smart guy. And I'm not stupid, but I'm not Einstein reincarnated or some shit like that. I, I didn't sit down and devour volumes and volumes of human history and technological forward-looking papers and say, oh, this is going to happen. I just looked at the place we were and said, oh, this is going to happen. It was that obvious to me. So none of this is by accident. It's all by design. It's all by plan. And it's all by the biggest thing. Despite design and plan, it's also inevitable. It's also inevitable. And by the time I've done today, you're going to see that why a lot of things that they, whoever the hell they are, you know, whenever I hear it, well, they are going to do this, they are going to do that. I, I think about a story I heard about Willie Nelson one time. Somebody said to Willie Nelson, I'm in some interview, I'm going to get Willie to say some crazy shit. It's not that hard. Give him a little tie stick. He'll tell you some real crazy shit. But they said, Willie, what would you do if they said you couldn't make music anymore? And he thought about it for a second. He said, well, I'll tell you what. If I could figure out who they were, I would have killed them a long time ago. Right? Like, screw they. That's a big part of what we're going to talk about today as well. Before we jump into all that, I want to uh, talk to you guys about our two sponsors of the day today. And sponsor day number one today is Paul Wheaton, but that's not Paul Wheaton's uh, thing up on the screen. Let me let me fix that for you. Paul Wheaton has a program that's really cool. It's called Permaculture Boot Camp, and it works like this. You go to where Paul Wheaton is. They call that Wheaton Labs, the top of the mountain, the wilds of Montana, and you live there. <coughs> you live there, you work there, you experience life at Paul's location. Pretty cool thing. How long do you stay? A week? A month? A year? However long you want. It's really up to you. <clears throat> Boy, I shouldn't have done this without a drink. Um, there are all kinds of things you can earn. Like the longer you stay, the more you do. You can earn tickets to a future PDC and other events. You can even learn, earn lifetime rent on a one-acre plot that you have always and forever at Wheaton Labs. There's a lot of other things you can do. And there's a lot you can learn about it. There is a link down in the video notes below or in the episode notes if you're on the audio where you can go and you can learn all about it. You click the little link and you go over to Paul's site and you can learn all about it. If you're thinking, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. Jack, I don't have a freaking time to go spend a week or a month or a year in Montana, but I want to learn a lot of stuff from Paul Wheaton. 
I talked to Paul, and we've kept this thing going, the special deal we've had going. 177 hours, top-notch video instruction, amazing instructors. It's a full PDC plus an appropriate technology course. That's available at the same link. It is totally worth checking out. You should totally do it. Uh, next up, just real quick, I brought this up yesterday, but we didn't have it in the video, so I want to bring it up today. Nicole Sauce has an awesome webinar coming up this Saturday in conjunction with John Bush at Live Free Academy. She's teaching uh, lacto-fermentation. She's going to use two of her favorite lifetime recipes that she's been making her whole life. And after you learn how to do those, you can basically ferment anything. She's giving away like a, uh, like some of her closely guarded recipes, all this other stuff here. You can also learn about that. It is in the show notes today. It's down there in the video notes right now if you're watching the live feed. And uh, you can always find all this stuff at thesurvivalpodcast.com. And, you know, if, if, if you would just get on the Daily Mail, right there. See that little tab, the Daily Mail? If you click that, you go to this page. It's really complicated. You fill out this little form right here. See, name and email. You don't even have to answer the where did you find us thing and hit submit. You do that. And, and son of a gun, if every day you won't end up getting an email from me that says, here's all the new stuff. And that's all you'll ever get. And if you ask me if I'm going to share your email, I'm going to tell you not to subscribe. Don't listen to me. I don't have time for you. I don't do shit like that. I ain't done this for 14 years to steal Billy's freaking email address and sell it to Google that already has it. I don't do stuff like that. It's not stupid. I, I like, I like running my business like an intelligent human being, which means I guard my customer list really, really closely, right? I don't, I don't go out and give away my customers to other people. And then one more thing real quick, cause I, I want to, I want to get all the housekeeping kind of stuff out of the way up front today. You can always help support my show. How? Do your online shopping at tspaz.com. I'm running the same item of the day I did yesterday today. It's these flat bottom reusable grocery bags. I'm not going to belabor that. Uh, I'm just going to say that I, I recommend that you check out the write-up I had on them. If, if every time you go to the grocery store, you end up with shit all over the back trunk of your car, all over your truck, or you're tying those crappy little bags together, or you even bought the reusable bags, but you just know they suck, they don't stand up, they don't stay in place, things fall up, then get these things, spend a little bit more money on them, get these things, and stop worrying about it. Anyway, so like I said, we're talking about... No less than the end of the world as we know it today. And again, I want to, I want to start out with the idea of every time I bring this up, I have people throw at me. It's the fourth turning. It's the fourth turning. It's the fourth turning. I think the, the the fourth turning, which is a book, by the way, is actually a really interesting theory, and I think it certainly has. Many valid parts to it. Is the overriding theory valid? If it is, we should be in a world war by now or very soon. And I mean like a bad world war, like World War II plus. Minimum. Even if we're not launching nukes at each other. And so we'll say, well, that's possible. It's possible, but it's, it's not real tenable in society today. Um, cause that's part of it, whether you know that or not. You know, it's the whole, you know, good times, you know, bad times make strong men, strong men make good times, good times make we, that, that whole concept. But does it matter? Does it matter if it's the fourth turning? Does it matter that we label it? Is it the great reset? Is it a reset? Or do we just accept that throughout history, 
There is no such thing as stability. The stability is an illusion. Things being the way they are and staying the way they are is an illusion. It's not reality. It sure as hell isn't history. We have these aberrations, at least they appear as aberrations, when you're living in them. As human beings, time progresses amazingly slowly for us, especially when we're young. So it feels like things have always been this way. Things have always been this way. When you're 12 years old, and when school wasn't completely insane, somewhere in you know June if you were in the north, May if you were in the south, ding, 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 and it was the last day of the school year. You went home and you played with your friends every day. It was three months, 12 freaking weeks. Three months, 12 weeks. Doesn't sound as impressive when you say 12 weeks, does it? 12 weeks of summer. Maybe you went to summer camp. Maybe you went on a family vacation. But mostly you just hung out because you, if you're my age or, you know, older or even a little younger, you hung out with your friends and you did shit. Your parents didn't bother you. You went out and did stuff and you stayed home too long to get you work. So you went back out so you didn't have to do work. That 12 weeks, how long did it feel like it lasted? Felt like it lasted forever. And that continues. Into our 20s especially, a lot of people in their 20s, perspective's not there yet because time has not accelerated to full speed for you yet. And it's not about somebody being older, being smarter than you or anything, or you're just a kid, or I don't mean it that way. Just there is a phenomenon in how we experience the passage of time. I'm going to tell you when, you, when you cross the half century mark, 12 weeks is that. 12 weeks is just gone. Holy crap. It's September. How many people already had that experience this year? Holy crap, it's September. Holy crap, it's about to be fall. Holy crap, they're about to start slinging pumpkin spice everything at us. You know it's coming. It does every year. Tell me you're not going to be like, holy crap, it's Halloween. Holy crap, it's Thanksgiving. Holy crap, it's Christmas. Holy crap, it's 2023. And even if you're a younger person, you're thinking, I know what he's saying. I get that. I f- you, you will continue to have that speed condense the passage of time in your mind. Why does this matter? Because we all do this. Even when we're old and we think we're experiencing the full speed of the passage of time and the shift in the flux of the world, we're still in a bubble. And I don't mean like an artificial bubble where we pretend things that are real aren't real. I mean, we're in a time bubble. In that we can't see how broad a time frame even modern civilization is 10,000 years, let alone the billions of years the planet's been here. Just 10,000 years of modern civilization, we're this mouse fart in it. And you know how they say like in Bitcoin, when in doubt, zoom out. That means like Bitcoin is dying, Bitcoin is crashing, and you zoom out. You're like, that graph does nothing but go up. That That does nothing but go up over time. But when I'm in this little space of it, I feel like the world's ending. It's a, it's a reverse effect of that. Because you're in this bubble, you don't understand the world is always ending. And the world always has to end, and it's always restarted. And obviously I'm speaking of, of the world ending in a totally different way than people mean it. I'm not talking about everything is laid to waste. It looks like the 1982 movie. What was that called? Ugh. 
the day after, and then everybody dies of radiation poisoning, and the dinosaurs come back, or the squids turn into monkeys or something. Like, I don't mean that. Well, that would be a shift, wouldn't it? I mean, do you not think that the world ended? It was the world of the horse and buggy by 1920. Do you not think that a person who grew up in a simpler time, who liked it, was like, holy shit, this can't be. And that the first time that they saw a traffic jam, that it just scrambled their brain and they thought that everybody was out to get them. And that person would have fought tooth and nail to prevent the advancement of the automobile. And today we'll fight tooth and nail to preserve the automobile because we see it as a personal tool of independence, which certainly to a degree it is. It doesn't mean that the shift won't happen because we oppose it or resist it. It's a very interesting thing. Massive change is always an ending. And there's some serious shit happening and or coming soon right now. There's things that people are not talking about, at least not in the mainstream. And these things are easy to say. That's interesting, but it's not that big a deal. When they're actually huge deals. Here's an example. This is an, an article by Jeffrey Tucker. And uh, I'm not sure if it is by Jeffrey Tucker. He just, yeah, he, it is by Jeffrey Tucker. It's in the Epoch Times. And he says, six types of bad employees. It's pretty interesting. You read the whole thing if you want. But it's really not the thing that's interesting to me in the article that he goes through these, like the braggart, the complainer, right, the hoarder, all all the bad types of employees. It's the opening. It's the first paragraph that people will go right, plow right through and not contemplate for a minute. Here's what it says. A new Gallup study suggests that half of American workers are quietly quitting. Whoa! Whoa! Hold on. Half of American workers are quietly quitting their jobs. They're figuring out how not to work in an employment capacity. That's what you have to understand. For that number to be that big, it can't just be people going home, sitting on their thumb, rocking back, and seeing how far up it will go. Some of them are going to do that. Some of them are going to go home and play video games. Some of them are going to go home and be housewives. Some of them are going to go home and be Mr. Mom, for those who remember the movie from the 80s. Like, some of it will, some of it will be that. But a lot of it is people figuring out, how, if I minimize my life and reduce my income needs, I can quit my job and go have this side hustle that's now basically my full-time income, and I have all that I need. And there's all kinds of permeations of it, but quietly quitting. What does he mean by that? What did the, what did the, the survey mean by that? It means I'm doing it without talking about it. I'm, I'm quietly fading away. It goes on. And only 20% are actively engaged in their work. Okay, so let's just take the half that are quietly quitting out. Of the workforce, Only about two out of ten people are actively engaged in their work. And there's something that we'll need to say here so that those of you that bust your ass every day and and everybody you work with bust their ass every day, you don't get bent out of shape here. There are jobs where it is impossible to not actively engage in your work. 
Because if you don't actively engage in your work, you either get fired or the work doesn't get done. Okay? So if you are a waiter, you wait on tables and you bring food to people and you take orders and you bring them their check and you do all that shit. So if you're a waiter and you hear that, you're like, oh. especially if you've, if you've never done anything but that in the past, right? Thanks to Chase. We got some background chatter that I'm trying to shut down here. Um, but it's kind of foreign to you. But those of you who've worked in a, like, office job, like, when, if you're somebody that when you saw the movie Office Space, you're like, huh, you know, like, you know, I know that. I'm that guy, or I was that guy, or I know that guy. Then you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're talking about more than half of the people that are employed today are just really not doing anything. They're not doing their jobs. And everything keeps going. See, that's not what's in Jeff's article. That's not what's in Everything still works. I want you to think about that. I've said before, and I think people doubted me, if, if 20, 30, even 40% of people walked away from their jobs, nothing would happen in the grand scheme of things. People think I'm crazy. And again, if you're a pizza delivery person, the pizza wouldn't get delivered. If you're the person that makes the pizza, the pizza wouldn't get made. If you're the person that bolts the fender on the car, oh, the robot will do that. But let's say you're doing something in an automobile manufacturing facility that a human has to do. Then that thing wouldn't happen. But when you look at the hundreds of millions of people with jobs in this country, there's a huge portion of them that they don't need to be there. There's even people that are good people. They do their job actively. They are engaged. They're still not really needed. Do you think we really need car salesmen? Do you think we really need a car salesman? Or can people just figure out what car they want and buy it for themselves now? Do you think a car salesman generally really is helpful? Isn't the car salesman, those of you that are good at buying cars like I am, isn't the car salesman somebody you really have to just make understand you're going to do what I ask you to do? And if you don't do what I ask you to do, and I think you're lying to me, I'm going to get rid of you and get a different salesman, and I will never do business with you again. How important is a person you have to treat like that to get a good deal on a car? They're not. I used to be in corporate sales. I was very good at it. I made lots of money. In the end, if you if you look at it from a pure financial standpoint, I put food on the table of hundreds of families in the company that I worked for. Without me, the company doesn't sell them. Surely my job was necessary. Well, if those people were going to get paid, but how many of them were unnecessary? And how much of the sales that we did would have happened if none of us did anything? If the company just made the product, put out basic marketing, totally on a just like click and order, right? Or call on a phone and talk to somebody and place an order, send in a form and order. How much of the sales that we made would have happened anyway? And you know what the answer is? Honest to God, about a third of them. About a third of them would have happened anyway. About a third of them, without us, the sales we did get would have went to a competitor. And about a third of them would have never happened for anybody. The third that would have never happened for anybody, how's that work? Well, that means we went out and created bullshit reasons for people to buy our stuff. 
I'm telling you that we went out and we literally like bought meals and shit for consultants to spec our shit into jobs that didn't require it so that the contractor that bid the job had to buy it as part of the delivery on the job and told the customer, yeah, you need this. And this, you know, in one case, I can tell you a million dollars of test equipment from a job I spec'd in was put in boxes and in cases and stuck in telecommunications closet and nobody ever used it. And eventually it was sold off on free because I know some of it was sold off on eBay for pennies on the dollar after it was like no, like it had been outdated. And the reason nobody ever used it is because nobody that worked at the company had the skill set to use it and the contractors that did service work carried their own. So we sold a million dollars worth of electronics, all that bullshit. It's completely worthless now, but that's because we had a number we had to meet. So even the active engaged person is often doing things that are completely unnecessary. What would have happened if I didn't land that contract? Would the bank, it was a banking corporation, would they have not been able to cash your check? No. Would, 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 would Karen and Human Resources have not been able to process paperwork for Carl that talks to the customers because the customers aren't good at talking to engineers? No. Everything would have been fine. We live in that world. How purposeless. How purposeless is our society becoming? If we live in a world where more than half the people could probably just stop doing anything and everything would still work. We hear about all this labor shortage stuff. You notice that the labor shortage is only a problem in places where people actually do things. Now, the, the idea is that what people are doing is they're not working. Right? They're just not working. They're too lazy to go to work, and governments gave them too much money, and they don't have to go to work. Government doled out, you know, on some cases, $10,000, $12,000. How long can you live on $12,000? Not very long. Can you? No, you can't, right? If I said, here's twelve grand, you'll be like, holy shit, Jack, thank you. I'm going to retire for life. Or I'm not going to work for five years. How long can you live on twelve grand in 2022? So what are they doing? They're working jobs that they don't actually do anything of any meaningful level, and they're avoiding the jobs that require you to actually do stuff. And why wouldn't you? If you're a worker drone in this society, you went to school, you got your piece of paper or whatever it is, you finagle yourself into a job, you realize it's all bullshit, even if you talk a good game, you realize it's all crap, and you find yourself in a position where, like, I put my paper on the left and my pencil on the right. Keep my mouth shut. I'm nice to my boss. I show up for overtime. Don't do anything then either. And my paycheck gets cashed. Why would you screw that? Why should you be like, you know what I want to do? I want to go change oil. Of course you wouldn't. You might be ambitious and be like, well, if I see an opportunity to go somewhere and do something meaningful, I'll do that. But right now, I'll keep my mouth shut. Well, did you know at really expensive restaurants, you're making 75 grand a year, Bob. At really good restaurants right now, servers are making over a hundred thousand. Bob ain't going to wait tables for extra 25 grand a year and losing his freaking insurance or whatever benefits he's not going to get and actually working harder. That's the society we're in. We don't just have people not working. We have people occupying space that don't do anything. And it might bother you for me to say that because you think I'm talking about you. If you work hard, I'm not, but just Let go of yourself for a minute. Get outside of your personal space bubble and tell me you don't know people like this that you work with. 
You're like, I would fire that son of a bitch tomorrow. You all know people like that. By the way, in 1972, MIT conducted a research project. They used the computers at the time, which weren't great, but they were pretty good if you worked on them hard enough. They built algorithms. I have a link to this, but since it's a video, I'm not going to click it and put it on the screen for you. And they said, when will society begin to collapse? And they didn't define collapse as, ah, dogs and cats having pumpy kittens and falling out of the sky and nuclear bombs go up. Like, that could be collapse. They define collapse as the population of the planet would go into decline and stay in decline for a sustained period of time. And so as that population decline occurred and we had built up society at a certain level, there would be consequences to that. And they realized that there were all these variables. And every time you changed a variable, it affected another variable. So they worked it down to a key set of variables since they didn't have, like, quantum computing or something to do all of it at once and learn from itself. And they had to adjust the variables themselves. And they created every conceivable scenario that they could come up with in 1972. They put it into this computer model, and they all looked different. And the massive... Fall off in population started in 2040-ish in every single one of them. Watch the video. It's pretty fascinating in spite of the uh, British narrator. <laughs> yeah, actually, he's Australian. He sounds British. It's kind of a joke at the end of it. It's pretty funny. You'll have to watch it to find it. But, yeah, it, it, all the models kind of agree. Well, this is when just, everything they do with the variables. Like he, oh, by the way, we're ahead of schedule. By that model, or by that series of models, we're ahead of schedule. And I'll ex explain that this is happening right now. While people are still screaming about overpopulation of the planet, fertility rates and birth rates are in decline in the whole world. That doesn't mean that population growth is negative everywhere. So we've talked about this for years. People have come to accept that, like, Western, Western Europe the United States, Canada, right, that we are not at population replacement levels. If we didn't have immigration, we would literally be in population decline already. People have accepted that. They don't get what it means, but they've accepted it. What they haven't accepted is this, this is true all over the freaking world right now. You know who's in a massive population decline already? I mean, demographic cliff level? Russia. You think that might be why it's really important to them to reclaim some access to certain natural resources and access to a thing called the Black Sea through continuous land access to the Black Sea? Like, if you don't understand the Black Sea in Russia, you don't understand Russia or the history of Europe and Asia, or that part of Asia, you know, Western Asia. You just don't. It's always been about the Black Sea. And there's a reason. Ships carry a lot of shit. Even today, it's really important. That's not pro or anti anything. It just is. But Russia's in a massive population decline. You know who's fixing to go in a massive, I mean, demographic cliff-style population decline? You won't believe it when I tell you, but if you look it up, you'll find out that it's true. China. China implemented a one-child po one policy. Now they say it's okay to have more kids, but it's become cultural norm. And as societies become more affluent, they start looking more at children as a cost rather than a reward. Poor people have children and think, 
We'll have a big family. We'll have a labor force. We'll be able to work together. When I'm old, they'll take care of me. Rich people think I'm not going to be able to take as many vacations if I have too many kids, and I'll just put money aside to have my ass taken care of at the old folks' home. So China's gone. Even countries that we think of as being third world countries that have had massive population growth through all this, their population growth curve is in decline faster than ours. They're still at growth level, but the decline from where they were to where, so everybody's going down. People don't understand that this is a problem. And I believe it's been exasperated by recent events, and since I don't want to get thrown into YouTube prison for two more weeks, I'll let you figure out what I mean. But I'll just say that fertility rates and birth rates, in my opinion, are different. There's a difference between how many people are having kids and how many people can have kids. Sperm counts are down. And Zippor says not India. Yes, India. The population growth in India is in decline. Not the growth is in decline. They're still growing. The growth rate is in decline in India. Yes, India too. Yes, India too. Yes, India too. This is everywhere. It's a giant sucking sound. We're going to have a whole show on it, so I'm going to move on from it. Just yes, India. But what I was saying about fertility rates, we, 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 we measure this in our society as the number of people having children. We don't really look at, well, how many people are physically capable of reproducing And, you know, there's always the part that, like, these two people struggled to have kids, but eventually they had a kid. But in general, if man and woman uh, come together in their special way at the right time of the month, a few times or more, a baby should result within one or two cycles of that attempt. That's normal. That's typical. That's how it works. It doesn't anymore. So it's not just people choosing to have less children. It's people that are not really trying, but not really not trying, just not ending up with children. And this is happening everywhere. And I think there's a lot of reasons. I think it has to do with diet, food, medical treatment across the board. And I think it has to do with, more than anything else, our diets. A fat society is not going to reproduce well. You can look that up. Um, then there's something else happening. And I think this is another one of those things like this should be mainstream news. It's not hard to find information about at all. And it will drive home the point of how bad things already are and how we're not waiting for this to happen. Um, this, the, the title of this article is a sec, second demographic cliff adds urgency for change. But with this article, it brings in the COVIDs and all, but what this really talks about, and there's tons of articles on this, again, this is not hard to find, is that they're anticipating a 15% drop in freshman prospects at the beginning of 2025 for college enrollment. Now, you really have to understand what this means. This doesn't mean that less children are choosing to go to college as young adults. That's not what we're talking about. The college enrollment 
industry, and that's what it is. These are recruiters for colleges, and they're not the ones that are trying to get the best. You know, we're not talking about recruiting the best baseball or football player or the guy with super academics. We're talking about the average everyday college recruiter that just tries to get as many passes and seats as possible, funded with Pell grants and loans and however, and get kids to go to school in their university. And they view freshman prospects is every single person that's graduated the 12th freaking grade who has a pulse and, and, and doesn't have like a, a .9 GPA. If you, if they can make you academically, you can start out taking some zero level courses and come up to speed, but you can enter the university this year. We have special programs for you because you are stupid. So they basically say that everybody that graduated is a freshman prospect. They're saying there'll be 15% less of them. What does that mean? It means there'll be 15% less kids that are freaking 18, 19 years old compared to right now. This decline already hit as the, as the kids that were born 15 years ago over the next four or five years, you get to see it. You get to see it hit a place that's different. It's already hit the, 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 the primary schools, right? It's already hit the grade schools, the middle schools, the high schools, but we live in an artificial fake bubble there. You know, some of these teacher layoffs, that's why they actually happened. That and people going, I don't think you have my child anymore. I'm going to take my kid into homeschool. The two things together. But they've not laid off anywhere near the number of teachers overall to reflect the decline in student body. Do you understand that? We have already had this happen. We just haven't noticed it yet. Well, they're supposed to be entering the workforce and becoming taxpayers and helping to pay for your adult diapers while you're on Social Security, and they're not there. And young people are waiting longer to have kids and having less kids than any time in history. And with the fertility problems, a lot of ones that say, well, I'm going to wait till I'm in my 30s, when they go to try, it doesn't work, and they've pushed further out. And it's not worth it, so they just don't even try anymore. And then if even if they do, what you end up with is having this extremely aged parental population of adult adolescents. Wonderful. Wonderful. This is all, this is all here now. Again, I got sources for all this. I want to show you guys something, just a little hint, a little, little tip too. If you look in the screen right here, you see two of five articles left. They have this behind a paywall on this website. I want to check, show you something. It's called 12-Foot Ladder. So I'm going to do this right now for you if you're watching. If not, you just know what it is. It's called 12-Foot Ladder, and it's 12FT.io, 12FTIO. And what they do is when you have a site that's behind a paywall, you just go to 12FT.io, and you drop the link in there, and you hit Remove Paywall. And watch this shit. Isn't this cool? See, technology renders everything irrelevant in time. There it is. No paywall. How'd that work? Uh, well, here's how that works. So all of these news agencies, paywall websites, stuff like that, they want people to be able to find their content so they make it discoverable by the search engines. So what that site does is just simply pulls up the cache from Google. That's a, like your paywall is now irrelevant. 
You guys better snap to like charging a quarter with lightning so people can read it. Because if it was 25 cents to read the article, I'd probably pay for it. But I'm not subscribing to your bullshit that I want to read one article on. Uh, just a little extra bonus there. So the college engro- enrollment cliff is coming. And then we have something else out today. This is brand new out today. And again, it's what's not being said. I, I, I like to talk about what other people don't even point out or, or realize. So this groundbreaking study has determined that the, the lowest paying and most regretted call, look at the smugness on that face right there. Isn't that beautiful? You'll have to watch the video if you want to learn more about that, uh, what I'm talking about. Um, but the most maligned majors, the ones where people make the least money and are most pissed that they went to college, are humanities and arts. Uh, 48%-ish. I'm reading off a graph, so I'm, I'm estimating. And social and behavioral sciences top the list. For, gee, my major was stupid. I wish I didn't do it, and now I'm miserable and in debt. No shit. Nobody has seen that coming. I think what's more interesting is you start going down the list. There's a lot of regret on things that seem very practical and like vocational and technical training. That's been an option we've told young people, like consider learning to weld it. I've even said it. Turns out like 42% of people with vocational and technical training regret they took that path. Education. So if you're going to go be a hero that doesn't wear a cape, you have a 40% chance of regretting your degree major. Law. Lawyers. Lawyers do well. 38% wish they didn't go to law school. Life sciences, 38% wish they didn't go to life sciences. Health, 35% wish they didn't go there. Physical sciences and mathematics, STEM, baby, 35% regret their major. Complete computer and information sciences, about 35%. And engineering does really well. Uh, About 22% only regret that they went into engineering. Um, Again, this is another one of those things. You have to look at what's not being said to really understand the impact here. First of all, these are not people that went to school, majored in a thing, and then dropped out. These are freaking graduates. Now, believe it or not, most people that go to college don't graduate. We put a ridiculous percentage of students out of college or out of high school into either college or technical school. It's incredibly high. There's school districts that literally brag 94% of graduates continue on to a higher education. But a third of people in the country have a college degree. There's a little delta there. I know you don't all have advanced math degrees, but you should be able to figure that out. Now, the other thing about these types of surveys What day did you ask that person that question? Did you ask that person that question on the day they got a raise or boss patted them on the ass and they felt good about it? And No, I don't really. The the reality of this is when I look at those numbers, the majority of people that went to college regret the path they took when they went to college. The majority regret their greed. Now, the thing, too, is they say they regret their degree. So they, they're still, many of these people are still living in a fantasy land of, well, college was still the right path for me. I just took the wrong version of it. As, and, and they think, well, maybe if I would have went into engineering. Well, maybe you'd be one of the 30% of engineers that regrets that decision. 
Well, if I would have went to law school, I would have been much better than off with a, with a, a degree in gender studies. You'd be less poor, but it doesn't mean you'd be happy. Some of the most miserable people I know are lawyers. And some of them probably said they didn't regret their degree path because they're happy that they drive a nice car and that they're a member of a country club, but they actually hate their freaking job. And what I'm saying is a whole bunch of those people can't even be honest about the fact that they really do regret their decisions. So you have a society. Now let's put, start putting it together. Let's start putting it. You have a society where about half of people don't even really do their job. The majority of people regret the path they took to end up in their job and therefore their job. Our fertility rates are in decline. We're on a mathematical model that says population decline will go off a cliff by 2040, and we're on track for it to happen early. We have college enrollments going down, not for all the reasons I want them to go down, but because there's literally not the people there to go. And we have fertility rates in decline. This seems like we're on the edge of a shift to me. So all the technology and everything, we're looking for the technology to be enough magic to plug this hole. Do you think it's going to work? I kind of have my doubts. But the number one way that we control people in society today is what? We control them by putting them in jail. No, we don't. Most people are not in jail. We control them by punching them in the foot. No, we control them with money. Economics is the method of control. And what we did is we created an energy farm. Money is just the symbol for the energy so we can keep score so the rich guys can get richer controlling the poor people. That's what it is. Now, it's not what money should be. When I say that about money, I'm not talking about money money. I'm talking about fiat dollars, fiat pounds, fiat euros. I don't care what they are. I'm talking about central bank currencies in a fractional reserve banking system. They are scorecards so that the rich people can all determine who gets the bigger share of what piece of whom. So let's move into that. Where are we at in the world of the national debt right now? We owe over $30 trillion, but that's not what's important to me. That's not what's important to me at all. I'm looking for a graph before I bring the screen up so it'll be seamless for you. What I actually want to know, when we make our interest payments now on the debt, What's the cost of the interest? You understand interest is where you don't get anything for your money. It was the cost of having money before you earned it. That's what interest is. It's $8.1 trillion over the next 10 years. So if you're looking at the graph, you see this blue. This thing down here in blue is really bad. And it showed the projected cost of the interest on the debt. And notice how the interest on the debt is kind of flat. Like It goes up, but it kind of goes up and down. And it doesn't look so bad. It's just this. And you see a hockey stick, right? A real hockey. That's a real hockey stick. This was what the, it was projected in 2021. In 2021, they said, it's going to be this bad, but it's okay. <laughs> 2022, they sharpened their pencils and said, did we do a good job? Turns out they, they, the government messed up again. That never happens. And they're like, you see this red line up here? This is where it really is. $8.1 trillion in interest. 
When I started the Survival Podcast 14 years ago, that was roughly the national debt as a whole. And people were like, holy shit, how are we ever going to pay it? Brothers and sisters, Reverend Jack is here to tell you, we ain't paying this shit. Don't put money in the collection plate. This is never getting paid off. This church is going to be burned to the ground. This is not happening. It's not happening. It's not happening. It's not going to happen. And it's worse than you think. Let me pull up another link for you guys. Everybody talks about the debt. There's something out there much worse than our debt. It's called unfunded liabilities. What is an unfunded liability? You take a look at all the money we're going to have to spend between now and 2050. That's where they, that's where they cap it for now. They'll keep pushing that out. <laughs> keep looking worse until it ends. And you say, this is money we know we're going to have to spend. This is not, well, gee, uh, you know, another virus hit and we need to like do bailouts or, hey, look, inflation's bad. So we need to stimulate inflation. That's smart. Uh, this is not, hey, we found another new thing that we want to throw money at. This is the money that's already committed. A lot of it is like Social Security and Medicare. And Jack, don't you care about old people? There, t- Yes, I care about old people. It doesn't matter if the money's not there. This is all the money we know we have to pay that we also know we will not have. Not we might not. We know we will not have. This is a, this is a low-ball estimate of the money we, we know we will not have between now and 2050. You see that 171 there? Let me help you figure out what that means. There's hundreds. There's hundreds of thousands. There's hundreds of millions. There's hundreds of billions. That's $171 trillion. And brothers and sisters, that means into the collection plate, you, your children, and your grandchildren must deposit $514,000 $514,444. If I leave this screen up long enough before this podcast, ends, this number right here is going to go up. You know the other thing's happening? The population that's this spread out over is going down. Again, when we talk about national debt and the government talks about someday, you know, we need to pay this down, pay this off. We're never paying this. We're never, ever, ever, ever paying this. This is never getting rectified through settlement. This will, there will be a giant button that rebases the economics of the world again. And we know it will happen again because it happened before. And this will all change into something different. It might be better. It might be worse. We don't know. It's insurmountable. It can't be done. It can't be done. And we've now hit a place where things that make perfect sense from an economic standpoint, things that should be nobody should be upset about, cannot be overcome. So I want to take you back in time again. Redneck hippie duck farmer, 2009. We're coming to the end of of that, the peak of the crisis. Everybody doesn't believe we're coming to the end. All my original listeners, it's the end of the world, Jack. Don't you know? It's not going to ever recover. We're going to on die. No. We're going to remember this term. Who remembers this term? The great false recovery. 
Anybody here in the chat remember the great false recovery I used to talk about back then? We're going to go through a false recovery, and that false recovery will take us higher than we've ever been before. And that's when it all blows up in our face. You remember that? 229 Mick remembers that. Huh? How did I know? Again, I'm not some savant. I'm just not afraid to look at it. I'm not like any of y'all could see this. I promise you, it's not that hard. People are afraid to look at it. They don't want to see it. They don't want to accept what it is. Well, here it is. And what did I say? I said that the recovery is the death sentence. Recovery equals inflation. I literally did a show when I was still driving in the car called recovery equals inflation. I think I just ran it as a, as a rewind not that long ago. And what ends up happening then is things that should just be normal are disasters. This is a headline from the day. Latest mortgage news. Rates surge past 6%, a 14-year high. Okay. Yeah. But do you know what that means? It means 14 years ago rates were higher. And rates were expected to be higher. And you know what people thought of a 6% mortgage rate when I bought my first house in 1998? Oh, that's nice. I can afford to buy a house at 6%. If it goes down to 5.45, I'm in real good shape. And that's what I mean. I bought my first house. My interest rate was 5.45%. It was an $85,000 house. I bought it with a standard government 3% down loan. It didn't make sense to use my VA for that particular one. It was, it was just made more sense to do what I did. I made $14 an hour at that time. It was right before my career took off. Made $14. And I made good money though, because I worked about 20, 25 hours a week average in overtime. So I don't, don't think I was poor or anything. I wasn't rich. There were days I was wondering if we had enough meat on the table for dinner, and I had to tell the boy, you, you, you can't only eat meat, you got to eat other stuff. Weren't keto back then. But it wasn't considered a big deal. And if you look back at interest rates going all the way back to, like, the end of World War II, up until the, 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 the Great Recession of 2008, where they tried to make you feel like you were a hero, like your grandpa going through the Depression, and trust me, you were not, it was normal. I mean, we had some ultra-high interest rates in the late 70s, early 80s, 14, 16, 18% for a time. But the mean rate of borrowing money for 30 years being 5 to 7%, perfectly normal, and it makes perfect sense that it would be. I want you to stop thinking about this as the consumer and, and put yourself in the mind of a lender. You have... $300,000 sitting in front of you that you don't need for 30 years. You want to invest it in your future. And your son comes to you, your daughter, your, your, your nephew, your niece, and says, Uncle, aunt, I'd like to borrow your $300,000. And you go, well, what are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to buy a house. Well, how do I know I'm going to get my money back? Well, houses go up in value. I'll sign a thing that says, if I don't pay you, you get the house. And you're like, but seems pretty secure. Yeah. And you look at the house and you go, yeah, the house is worth at least this much now. 30 years now, it'll be worth more money. 
right? Well, that's good for your nephew. It's not really good for you. It's just good for you from a security standpoint. Assuming there's no drop in the market, but there's some risk, but you've mitigated it. And they say, well, it's really uh, $350,000. I'm putting $50,000 down. You're loaning me the other $300 for closing costs and shit like that. So, like, and you go, okay, sounds pretty. And you go, okay, well, yeah, so uh, what do I get? And they go, well, I'll pay you interest. You go, oh, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. How much? 2.5%. You're about to tell your uncle, your son, your best friend, whatever, go screw I'm not tying my capital up for 30 years for a 2.5% return. There's no problem if you have a sound monetary system with a 5.5% interest rate or a 6% interest rate on 30-year mortgage leveraged against property. But it's now a disaster. It now means a generation are priced out of housing. Yeah, it'll be okay. Don't worry about it. We'll just take some more money from the government and fix it. Like, that's not how we got here. And what are people clamoring for? The people that aren't already in the real estate game, if you're holding property right now, you feel pretty good, especially if you bought it like 10 years ago, right? But if you're not in yet, you want them to do it just one more time for me. One more time for me. Start thinking about your kids. We're going to go through this pain. It's going to happen. Adapt to now, and if things get better, you'll be great. Adapt to now, and if things get worse, you'll be better off than the people that don't. You know what else happened? It's insane. We still have people running their mouth about the minimum wage. The Bernie Sanders, the Bernie bros still want to talk about minimum wage. And I know what you're going to say, Jack, in a free market, there shouldn't be any minimum wage. But I agree, but it's it, it's kind of moot now. It's been so long since the federal government has raised the minimum wage, almost nobody makes it. This has been true for a long time. Six years ago, I did the research when this was really going crazy, and they were claiming fast food workers were on strike over it, and they weren't. They were people that were paid to stand around while they weren't working. And I realized that it was bullshit because I decided to find out, well, what percentage of people uh, make minimum wage? And it turned out that the number of people who earned a minimum wage uh, income on a full-time salary, you know, went work four hours or 40 hours a week, was 1.5%. So only, we were worried about this minimum rate, wage six years ago when only 1.5% of the workforce earned it. Well, I did a little more research, and I said, well, what, what number of those people have been in the workforce for more than a year? And it was under three-quarters of a percent. So less than 1% of people that have been in the workforce six years ago. And when you told one of the Bernie bros, they're like, nice trick, man, only including full-time employees. Well, I, I'm sorry. If you work part-time at the pool store when you're 16, I don't care how much money you make. You're not part of this debate. But this is the average hourly work, earnings now for people in America. The lowest one I can find on it is leisure and hospitality, and it's $18.70 an hour in 2021. In 2022, uh, that is $20.30 an hour. If you look at this column, you don't see anything that even goes down to 15 That doesn't mean nobody makes $15 an hour. I know some of you right now are watching, I make 14 an hour, you idiot. 
I understand that. This is average. It's not median. It's average. It, it basically what's happened is the, the minimum wage, because inflation is what it is, has become meaningless as it sits. No one that does any meaningful work at all, and remember, a lot of people employed don't even do meaningful work, meaningful work for minimum wage. And it's just, it's, it's, it's not even worth worrying about anymore. But it also says something about the state of the economy. Somebody said the queen just died. I don't know. I don't care if the queen died. It's not my queen. My queen's my wife. We fought a war so we didn't have to worry about the royal family. I, I don't, I don't have any concerns about the royal family at all, except one of them I'd like to see go to prison because of the freaking pedophile. The rest of it, I, I just don't care. It's not my problem. Any, I don't mean to be mean or nothing. I'm just telling you. So, <laughs> you know, one company you could work for right now that you really didn't worry about your job was Google. The giant money mouth, that's what Google is, that thing that searches about a money mouth that eats money, eats everything. CEO of Google says he hopes to make his company 20% more efficient and hits at potential cuts. So even Google, at this point, is hinting that they might have to do some layoffs and things like that. I covered last week 50% of companies in the world today. 50% of companies in the world today are, or 50% of companies in the United States, I'm sorry, not the world, 50% of the companies in the United States said that they have layoffs planned in the next six months to 12 months. So half the companies in the United States have layoffs planned in their forecast in the next six to 12 months. Uh, and I will tell you, a whole bunch of them, don't want to see the power stroke swing, even though it's dumb, because I'm going to get to that in a second, from left to right. So they're holding until after the midterms before, like, give us some more money and we won't do it, like that. So you'll start seeing massive layoffs come, and not necessarily one company doing massive layoffs, massive numbers of company doing significant amounts of layoffs right at the end of the year and going into the first quarter next year. It will happen. It will happen. It will happen. And, and companies, they almost seem cruel in this, but there's a reason they do it. They have a real tendency to let go of people between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And the reason they do that is people are in a state of mind where they're less likely to like cause trouble or come back and go postal and shoot everybody. That's why they do it. They're more like your employee that's really troubled. If you lay him off between Thanksgiving and Christmas, he's less likely to make trouble for you and more likely to make trouble for himself. Like eat a bottle of pills or eat a bullet. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. Corporate America is run by sociopaths and a lot of policies, people executing them don't even know the reason for them. That's real shit. I just gave you. Uh, Alt Ark says, uh, Snapchat's laying off 20%. I'm not surprised. Bunch of people are going to lay off a bunch more. Well, what do we do? Pretty damn dark show there, Brother Jack. What do we do? Okay. You really want to know? <laughs> Same shit I've been telling you for 14 years. But we're going to take a little bit different angle on it today. Number one, all that shit I just told you, 90% of it, 
you can't do jack diddly crap about. Know it, understand it, accept it, and don't worry about it. Holy crap. How the hell am I supposed to not worry about it? Okay. Can you, can you prevent a, a systemic collapse of the population? Are you going to go out there and just breed everything? <laughs> like, I'm going to stop. Like, come on. Are you going to be, what's his name from, uh, Bubba from Idiocracy with the family tree everywhere, right? No, can't do it. Just don't worry about it. Worry about your life, that time bubble that you're in, the opportunities you have, and do the things you can do to make your life more stable, more, more uh, resilient, more reliable. I know it sounds too easy, but there is, there's a reality of people that did well throughout history. There were people that were at peace with themselves. They were the warrior in the garden. They were not the gardener in the war. They found peace within themselves. They found something to defend. And in general, they avoided other people's bullshit. They were Professor Falcon, right? Well, they were actually, you know, Whopper, right? The only winning move is not to play their game. You play their game, you lose. Because the game is a loss in of itself. <sighs> Build value in real assets into your life. And you have to understand what an asset is. A garden's an asset. A garden's an a a skill is an asset. Tools that let you do things are assets. A piece of property that's paid for or so easy to service the debt on that you really don't care that it's there. Is an asset. A network of people you can count on is an asset. A network of people you can do business with is an asset. Those are assets. We, we tend to think of assets as we're, the little bit we're taught about in economics in high school and college as being like on a balance sheet. Quantifiable assets. A equals L plus C. That's for those without the accounting background. That's assets equals liabilities plus capital. Assets. But if you, if you go into that world, you learn that companies have pretty big asset values in things that are immaterial. You know what the biggest asset is on McDonald's balance sheet? I mean, McDonald's, the hamburgers, the garbage food, right? You know, You know what their biggest asset is? I know, Jack, you've talked about this before. Ray Kroc was a real estate genius. It's real estate. It's not. They hold more real estate than the Catholic Church. The most valuable thing on their balance sheet is a line item. It says goodwill. Goodwill. What does that mean? The value of the brand. The value of the brand. It's a subjective number. It's an estimated number. But what it means is you're driving down the road, you're like, damn, I'm hungry, and you come across golden arches. You can see them long before you can read. And even if you don't want to eat there, you know that's food. That's McDonald's. You know the name. 
We can learn from the cronies. We can learn from the corporations. You can say that's vaporware, that it's not real, it's backed by nothing, but you'd be wrong. There's a reason people will pay over a million dollars to to become a franchisee and make minimum wage and build up McDonald's. There's a guy in my audience, really solid man, doing great work with kids now, multi-millionaire in his retirement. You know how he got there? He built up some McDonald's franchises and sold them. You notice he didn't he didn't build up build up Bill's Burger Shack franchises. He built McDonald's franchises because that number's real. Well, your social capital is real. The networks you have are real. Even if they're non-existent, then it's a real zero. So build up your assets. I'm talking the physical things that you can quantify a number on the liquid capital, yes. The semi-liquid capital. Real estate is semi-liquid capital. It's not liquid. It's semi-liquid. It takes time to move a piece of property into liquid capital. And there's illiquid capital. I mean, there's no way to directly convert it into money, but it can be converted into money over and over and over and over and over and over again across time. Or it can be converted into other things of value. The way you know you're looking at capital is it can be created into, it can be shifted into other forms of capital. If you cannot shift something into a, a alternate form of capital, it's not capital. Doesn't mean every form can shift into every other form. It means this thing that you think is capital If it really is, you can shift it into some other form of capital. And if you can't, it's not capital. If it's capital, and you said, wait a minute, did he say assets equals liability plus capital? Yeah. Go learn what the phrase or what the equation actually does, and you'll see why I'm I'm basically equating capital and asset here at this time. All right. So. We need to build value in real assets in our life. That means we also need to develop skills in ourselves and our family and our community. It doesn't do any good for you to be the guy that can do everything surrounded by people that can do absolutely nothing. All you'll do is work yourself to death and die miserable and angry at everybody. You need to be training your children to not just be functional members of society that are well socialized and know how to obey the rules of the state. But boy, you better teach that kid how to repair a carburetor, even though none of the new cars have them, we might be going back to some of that technology at some point. It ain't all going to be solar. Some things still use carburetors. Teach them how to fish. Teach them how to hunt. Teach them how to fix shit around the house. Don't have your kid be 24 years old. Your kid that's like eight right now. When he's 24 years old and he finally manages to get a house and he's going on YouTube or whatever exists at the time, to learn how to fix his sink when all that happened is a pipe fell off the bottom. He just needs to stick it back on and turn a bolt. Every time you have some shit you need to fix around the house, it'll take you longer to do it with your kid. Your kid won't want to do it. Drag his ass or her ass along anyway and make him do it. You know, I mean, I remember, like, my uncle going, hey, I'm going to change the oil in the car. Oh, okay, no, you're coming. And, And learning to change the oil in a car. Do I change my oil in my car now? Hell no, I don't. You know why? Because I can make more money than it costs me to have the oil changed in the car. In the time it takes for me to change the oil in the car. And I don't want to do it. But I know how. And it's it's a funny thing. You learn how to do a few things and you realize you can do almost anything. Jeff says 31 is the new 13. Yeah, we need to reverse that shit. That's what I'm talking about here. Next Build a business. 
There's never been a better time in history than right now to build a business. Building a business is like planting a tree. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is right now. Don't wait until tomorrow. I know not all of you are going to have a business. But if you think you are and you ain't building one now, you probably ain't. If you're ever going to build a business, right now is the time. One of the one of the few shows on mainstream TV that's really worth watching is called The Food That Built America, especially the first, like, six, eight episodes of it. It's all shit that was built during the Great, prior to, during the Great Depression and World War II. A lot of it's garbage food today. A lot of it's pretty vindictive business practices. But what you what you realize is at the time that everybody was losing their mind in one of the most massive shifts that ever happened in humanity, right? Wittenberg flew over the ocean, opened up air travel. Oh, my God, we had a Second World War. People jumped out of buildings on, on because the stock market crashed. and We had a dust bowl, and people built fortunes right in the middle of it. Why? Because when there's problems, there's opportunities. When there's pain, there's a need for medication. And pain and medication aren't always what we think of. They're not always Pfizer drugs. If somebody is hungry, that pain is medicated with what? Food. If someone's shit is broke and they can't fix it, their pain is medicated by what? Someone who can. You know, look at Tim Toolman, man. The business he's building is a handyman and teaching other people how to do it. If I had a reliable handyman, I would have him working here at least every other month on a decent-sized project. Every time I find one, he's reliable for project one and not reliable for project two. I get fed up with it and either do it myself or live without it until I decide to take another go at it. Do you know how much opportunity there is right freaking now if you would stop bitching? And I know some of you aren't. I'm not talking the ones that aren't. But the ones of you that bitch, the ones that are, I just can't do it, Jay. It's not like when you were a kid. No, it's not like when I was a kid. It's freaking better. It was better time when I was a 20-something to fuck off and party than it is now. I'll, I'll grant you that. But now's a better time to build a business. Now's a better time to build wealth. Now's a better time to build than it was when all of us Gen Xers were your age. Get off the couch. Put down the video game controller. Get out of the freaking metaverse and climb into the freaking universe and get your ass to work doing something. And what you have to do first, and this is very hard for young people today, and it's not your fault. We screwed you up. I'm sorry, but I'm telling you the solution. You're going to have to fucking fail. You have to go out and fucking fail and fail and fail and fail, then fail again, then fail harder, then fail one more time, and then succeed. That's how we all did it. That's how our parents did it. That's how our grandparents did it. You were taught to fail as bad. You were taught you need a gold freaking star. You don't need a gold freaking star. You don't need to be affirmed. You don't need to be told that you're right. You don't need somebody to pat you on the head. You don't need somebody to tell you how to do it before you try. You need to go out and you freaking commit and you go out and you try and you accept that the first time you try right into a freaking wall. And you go, what did I learn? And you go at it again. 
and you go at it again, and you go at it again. You know how many times I failed? A shitload. Do you know why? Because I wanted to succeed. When I was, and I was pretty freaking poor at one time. When I first came to Texas, I literally did live on ramen noodles, stovetop stuffing, the value menu at Jack in the Box and Taco freaking Bell, whole chickens, and shit, and rice. I didn't do real well right away, and my first attempts were pretty miserable. And even when I had a good job, I was always working side hustle shit. A lot of it, like I put a lot of time in to make a little bit of money, but it was learning, 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 learning. And then all of a sudden one day, you have that breakout moment. And everybody around you, all they see is that breakthrough. All they see is that moment that it happened. That's all they see. All they see is some guy. He was just this regular guy. And he started doing a podcast in his car. And all of a sudden, he podcasts for a living. And now look how he's doing. This is great. He's been doing it for 15 years almost now. And he's just really good. And like, But he just did it. Like He must have magic. He didn't bu- I didn't bump into your ass at 3 a.m. when I was coming down the stairs to put my show together. I was going to do it in my car on my way to work to work 60 to 80 hours that week. I didn't bump into your ass when I was going through all the grueling misery that got me to the job that I had at the time that gave me the opportunity to do the thing that I did. And yours won't look like that. Odds are most of y'all will do better than me if you actually just get off your ass and try. And if you're 50, you're like, well, he ain't talking to me. I'm talking to you, too. You know what? One of the best entrepreneurs I know, he's going to get a big old swollen head. He's in here in the chat right now. I'm not paying attention to you, Jake. I'm rolling today. I'm not really watching the chat much. But Jake Robinson. Guy's been hustling his ass off as long as I've known him, and I'm no longer before that. You know, I've I've had Jake be a pain in my ass a bunch of times in my life. He's never come to me and asked me for money. Whenever he's wanted to come to one of my events or anything, no matter what the cost, he's never like, hey, can you front me some money? I need some money. You know why? Because he freaking just works his ass off. He bought a freaking uh, dehydrator, not a dehydrator, a freeze dryer. I thought it was stupid. He figured out how to make it pay for himself. Now everybody's doing it today. He's the first person I saw do it. Because he went and did it. And I'll tell you what, he's old. I ain't going to say how old, but he's old. All you young whippersnappers, he's old. Old. Still hustling. Selling raw land. I did give you five bucks in Bitcoin. You owe it to me back, though. I'm going to make you give it back in a demo one day. Yeah. Build a business. Remain freaking optimistic. I just did a show with this couple recently, a young couple. Tell her like they're on the young side of millennial. Might even be the upside of whatever Gen Z, whatever the hell they're calling you guys. I don't know. We're talking about all the shit that's wrong in the world and the whole thing. I'm kind of smiling and laughing through it. And they're asking me this. I'm like, oh, that's totally screwed up. And like, I'm just completely optimistic. Why? Because builders are optimistic. Entrepreneurs are optimistic. Gardeners are optimistic. People plant trees are optimistic. People that are raising their kids or their grandkids the right way and developing them into young men and women instead of raising children. You don't raise children, dummy. You raise adults are optimistic. People that are always trying something new, even when it fails, are optimistic. People that have projects Not ones that work, but projects in their lives. I'm going to try this. They are optimistic. People that think about tomorrow are optimistic, and people that think about today generally are not. 
It's a, it's a hard balance. The happy life can be defined as I've learned from the past. I live in the present and I think of tomorrow. That's how you actually remain optimistic and happy. We have to learn a little bit from our dogs. Dogs, like, they might be affected by the past, but they don't live in the now. <laughs> now. I got a treat. Tails wagging. I'm happy. They're not worried about, you know, will I get a treat tomorrow? They just if I have one now, uh, the master gave me one, he'll probably give me one tomorrow. Might have had a shitty day yesterday. I got a bath, but don't even remember it anymore. When the water turns on, I'm going to get another bath. Now I remember, oh, that's what that means. But I'm not living in that moment of that misery that I don't like baths. I'm living in the now. But we're humans. We have to be a little bit higher. We pull that wisdom of our past. We live in the now. What we think of tomorrow. That's optimism. That's, you know, the whole do or do not, there is no try. In some ways, that is a stupid statement. Life is all about the try. You only get success through failure. Do or do not is about really accepting that if I keep trying long enough, eventually I'll do. Or I'll figure out that I don't need to try anymore. There are things that you'll pick up and say, I really want to do this. And you'll be like, a couple months into it, man, I could make this work in another year or so, but this, I don't like this. This sucks. Go do something else. You're in school and you're like, I'm going to be one of those people that regret my degree. Drop out. Change your major. Go do something else. Stop doing shit you hate. Stop doing shit you hate. Life is too short to spend any of it doing shit you hate unless you're doing the shit you hate because you know it leads to shit you want to do. If it all it does is lead to more you don't want to do, it is time to stop. Don't be the fly in the window pushing against the window going, I see the outside. You're going to end up tits up in the morning, dead, work yourself to death, and no one will care. You'll die, your friends and family will cry, and in two days they will have moved on beyond you. And you wouldn't want it any other way. When you're gone, you don't want your kids five years from now going, uh, what's wrong, my dad died. When? Five years ago. No. You want them going on with life. And they will. That's a human's work. You get to live your life for you. Be optimistic. On the political shit, bluntly, you're dying Okay? Get through the five stages of grief. The system's dying. See, when we, we think of the five stages of grief, you know, you, you know somebody says you, you have cancer. You're like, no, you're wrong. Denial. I hate the world. Anger. Hate. <laughs> God, this sucks. Depression. Maybe I can go to Mexico and they'll shoot shark piss up my nose and it'll save me. I read this article. Bargaining. It is my fate. There's really nothing that can be done. I need to put my affairs in order and enjoy what I have left, have palliative care, whatever, and, and, and live the best life I can going forward. See, cancer or some other terminal illness sticks out right in front of you and condenses it all to right now. 
every one of you is dying, including me. Every day, we have less time than we did the day before. But there's another thing that happens when a person gets that condensed thing. People around them go through those five stages of grief. Your son, your daughter, your, your mother, your father, your wife, your husband, your brother, your sister, your best friend is dying. Same stages. So when we observe the death of a thing that we're attached to, we go through the same stages. Many of you are still attached to the state and its systems, and you are in the five stages of grief as it dies. Get to acceptance. And somebody on my one of my videos from last week, this week, say, I don't get in on all this not voting thing, man. You know, i got to do something. Even though I know logically I'm wrong, at least you're there, right? And, and we had a bit of a discussion, and he said, maybe I'm still more optimistic than you. And I said, I think you're in the bargaining stage. And I said, let's, let's get, and I don't know if he's answered me yet or not. I wasn't being a dick. I was serious. You know, I want people to see this. Like, let's, and he's, this guy's clearly for the Republicans, right? And that'll make it all better. And so, you know, I said, let's imagine the, the midterms come and the Republicans do better than anybody expects. Landslide in the House, take the Senate back. Game it out for me. What happens that makes everything better at all? And then imagine, We go all the way to 2024, and the orange man rises again like the great pumpkin in October, except it's November, or Ron DeSantis or some magical fairy unicorn Republican that comes out of nowhere and takes over. And, and let's say that Republican is like, was actually sitting at the knee of Ron Paul, and nobody knew it. He's like, ha, ha, I will be implementing Dr. Paul's plan for America, which I could get behind, personally. I, I think I, How does that work out? How does that fix a declining population, a society of people who work and don't actually do anything? How do you fix $8 trillion dollars over the next two year, 10 years in just interest on the debt? How do you fix $171 trillion dollars in unfunded liabilities? How do you fix a demographic cliff? How do you fix these rapid shifts in technology to completely altering the landscape as we know it? How do you fix the mental illness in society that thinks it's okay to tell a five-year-old that it's okay to have themselves castrated? You think government can fix that? Because you live in a serious form of fantasy land if you do. I know. We'll get the people that caused the problem to fix it. It'll be great. No, you won't. Grow up. When you are a child, it is totally acceptable to play with childish things. But as a man, you must put away the things that are childish from your life. You don't believe in the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy. Okay? Hope nobody has two young kids listening. And Uncle Jack didn't mean it. He's teaching a lesson. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Stop believing in the state. Join me. Become a statist apostate. I, one time, like you, brother and sister, believed in the false god that was the state. I didn't know I thought they were a god, but clearly I did. I thought they had a right to tell me how to live my life and tell you how to use it, live your life. And I thought if enough people said this is what they wanted, that the people that wanted a thing overrode the people that didn't, and it had to be that way, and that made sense. So clearly I believed in some sort of omnipotent power that I was somehow a part of, but just had to obey. 
Sounds like a religion to me. Thou must become a statist apostate. In fact, I should have the gear shop guys do up a statist apostate freaking shirt. What do you guys think of that? Let me know in the comments there. <sighs> Get through the five stages of grief. Get to acceptance. Stop thinking there's some way out of this. And I mean politically, I mean from a tactical standpoint. The millstone is going to spin. The millstone is going to spin and you're not going to stop it. Get out of the way. Right? Daniel's son. Best block punch. No be there. Get out of the way of the punch. Design your life accordingly. But you won't do it. You will not do it until you accept reality. And I've given you reality today, whether you want it or not. It's not my job to make you feel comfortable. But actually, that's how you become comfortable. You get to accept this. This is the way the world is and the way the world's going. And there's things we can fight and things that we can't. And I'm going to only focus on the things that we actually can make a difference on. And those are actually a very narrow scope of things. I'm going to build the best damn life I can for my family, myself, and my community. And I'm going to work with others like myself and accept that. There is this mountain of shit. That, like, all of a sudden, since you're thinking that way, you start walking forward. You, the mountain doesn't go away. You just exit the mountain like a tunnel. And the shit all falls off of you. And you realize, like, holy crap, I was covered in shit. And you go take a shower. You get the rest of the shit off you. And then you're like, oh, I smell good now. I don't smell like shit anymore. And you're like, oh, those people. Look at them. They're, they're hauling the mountain of shit together. They're rolling around in it. And I'm like, come back over here. You're like, no, I don't think I will. But, yeah, you're a quitter. I, I, yeah, I think I am. Apostate. Yes. Yes, I'm an apostate from the mountain of shit. I don't want to be in there with you anymore. You need to vote or you can't complain. I seem to be able to complain just fine over here, you guys, and they're throwing shit and you're just out of range. I think I'll take another step back. Those guys look like they're building a catapult. Now I'm going to get the hell out of here. Enjoy your shit throwing contest, monkeys. Bye. That's how you become comfortable. And part of that is to accept that you're mortal. Kind of hit on this already. But there is a peace in saying someday I'll die. Doesn't mean you're in a hurry, but full acceptance of your mortality. We push this so far out of our minds. I actually think that the younger a person is when they fully accept their mortality, the greater are the things they do in their life, regardless of how long they live. Because once you accept that, you start to think about the next generation and the next generation. That seven-generational thinking comes back. But you also start to value the time that you have so much more and you work so much harder and you do so much more and you make so many more things happen and you make things happen that matter because you realize making something happen that doesn't matter is a waste of who and what you are. It's a waste of your life force. And like I said last week, stand up. Fuck up. Don't kneel before anybody. Be the lion you were meant to be. Really. Be the lion. Do you think a lion's going to lay down and die if you go after it? It will 
Plum, Jack, you're shit up. You take a 470 Nitro double in there, you better not miss. And you better not just not miss. You better not, like, rake the side because even if he's going down, he will rip your throat out and eat you. One chomp, your head pops like a zit. In his dying moment, he'll take your head off. I'm not saying to be violent. I'm just saying be the lion. That lion was minding his own damn business. He was eating gazelles and water buffaloes and shit like that, doing lion shit, pissing on trees, fighting with his cousins, protecting his cubs and his girls, minding his own damn business. You're the one that went in there with a 479 or tried to kill his ass. And he just simply said, I don't think it's your day today. And he fought back. We are way more powerful than lions. Physically, we are not an equal. But our ability to plan, our ability to design, our ability to anticipate, our ability to communicate, our ability to cooperate makes us the most successful species that we know of in the universe. Doesn't mean we are. Most successful one we know of. We're more successful than the insects. There might be more of them, but we're more successful. We live everywhere. We feed ourselves everywhere. Sometimes we act like parasites, but we don't have to. Even before all this modern technology, human beings occupied the tundra to the tropics to the tundra successfully. Small bands, big villages, everything in between. We are lions in the true meaning of what I'm saying when I say lions. We're survivors. We're warriors. We care about our pack, right, or our pride if we're lions. We care about our children. You don't think that male lions don't really care about the cub. Go mess with a cub in front of a big black mane male lion and see what happens to your ass. If mom happens to be away and the old man's around, go see what happens to your ass. Everybody talks about mama bears. Guys, papa bears can be a lot more dangerous. A mother will fight with all she has for her kids. A father might kill you for looking at them the wrong way. That's who we are. It's what we are. That's why the state doesn't get my grandchildren. They don't get access to them. They're not worthy. Those two kids are too damn precious. They're too damn special. They're too damn wonderful. They have too much damn potential to let sickness that's crawled into their school system into their heads. And here's a little clue here at the end to get off the bargaining stage. Last thing on that. What you're forgetting is that the school system sucked before all this happened. You're forgetting that. You're forgetting that 10 years ago, the school system still sucked, that we still had children in record numbers committing suicide before all of this transgenderism nonsense and wokeism and all this crap, that it sucked. That 20 years ago, it sucked. In fact, maybe the reason they've chose such a ridiculous hill to die on is the plan is, in the end, for all of you that are fighting this battle to win. Maybe that's how you keep the education system that is dying alive. You create a false flag war. You have both sides fight. 
You convince the idiots that they are on the side of righteousness, and then you rug pull their ass at just the right moment, and all the other side goes, Woohoo, we won! We got our shitty schools back! And you roll around and shit mountain with each other and high five and the shit splatters between your hands and you don't even see it or smell it. Because everybody smells like it. Everybody's covered in it. And you look over at the weirdos over here, not on shit mountain, going, uh, sorry guys, you, you, you still don't get my kids. You still don't get my kids. Sorry. No, no, no. Now the kids are not going to Shit Mountain University. No, no, no. No, 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 sorry. Shit Mountain Middle School, not going there either. Go on. Bye-bye. Be the lion. Stand tall. Kneel before no man. Never compromise. You compromise with people that are worthy of compromise. You want one thing, your wife wants another, you finally meet in the middle and you compromise. When I say never compromise, I don't mean that. I mean your integrity, what you believe in, what you stand for, protection of your family, protection of your way of life. Even when there is something you would call a compromise, it better be temporary. It better be, this is a maneuvering principle so that we can get over here and not have to do it anymore. It's I'll keep the job that I hate because I know it leads to the life that I want. That is a compromise, but that is a compromise that leads to a solution. Too many people spend their whole damn life in constant compromise. And one day you'll look back and you'll think, it's gone. It's all gone. All the opportunity is gone. A few years left. Move really slow. I hurt all the time. It's gone. Because I didn't do it when I could. Get on it. Tick tock. The talk click. The clock ticks for us all. I'll catch you guys tomorrow with an expert counsel Q&A show. You pull yourself up. They keep bringing you down. Are they gonna bail you out? Or just run you around They said you should have a house the American way a Dollar down, a dollar a month and you never have to pay There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way